0: you're listening to strictly business podcast with lindsey williams with me is philip saunders co-head of multi-asset growth at 91 in london philip the momentum continues doesn't it i mean i think after the u.s jobs numbers on friday the u.s 10-year bond yield spiked to 1.62 percent. it's bad back at about 1.55 1.56 at the moment Do you think that after our last chat, uh, there is a point where you've decided that it starts to become a little bit of a problem for central banks and they have to take some sort of action?
1: I mean, I think that there are really, in a way, that this is a contradictory perspective on this. And um, on the one hand, for interest rates, long-term interest rates to sort of spiral out of control would not be good for central banks because we've put a lot of pressure on them to adjust their interest rate policies earlier. Uh, that they're hoping to. They're hoping to continue to keep interest rates flat on the floor in order to actually uh, underpin economic recoveries. But then again, you know, if we're moving into a more normal economic environment, uh, you'd expect interest rates to normalise, long-term interest rates to normalise. Yes. So inevitably there's some tension between, you know, clearly they're welcome, they welcome the fact that economies are recovering uh, and they accept that that will drive up long-term interest rates uh, but they don't want it to be disorderly and they don't want to, if you like, sort of uh, lose control of the short end, which they have told us they, you know, they wish to keep locked down uh, until the recovery is well established.
0: OK, the way I look at it is this. This is a movement and it will be a movement that probably goes on for quite a while, just like interest rates have been coming down and bond prices have been rising and bond yields have been falling for decades now and it's been an inexorable force. What I think might happen is very similar to what happened to the US dollar in the mid to late 1980s, when it was falling against what was then the Deutschmark and what was then the, well, it still is, the Swiss franc. The Fed and the authorities knew that the dollar was falling, but occasionally they would come out and say, well, it's gone too fast and we're gonna intervene in the market. And uh, Paul Folker, the chairman of the US Federal Reserve, would intervene occasionally and that would stop it. But the hedge fund managers and the asset managers and the traders New, they just sat back and said okay let them intervene in the market and then after a few days we'll get back in again it almost seems a mirror image of the late 1980s dollar situation with what's happening on the US Treasury market at the moment they know that the market is going up in in yield terms the bond market is coming down and so occasionally they come out and do a bit of jawboning. am I being too simplistic
1: well, I think that there's, there's clearly an element to that too. But, but bear in mind also that we've, we've been through uh, an environment where the, that has resulted in bond yields being driven down to extraordinarily low levels. So they were clearly artificially low. And you know you, central banks tend to basically manipulate the short end of bond markets because they control short-term interest rates. They can also introduce uh, yield curve caps Which effectively the Japanese have been doing for some time. But in America, then they're not doing that at the moment. So, in a way, basically beyond 10 years, well, 10 years plus, um, you are seeing basically the market tending to sort of set rates. Um, But in the short end, basically very little has changed, although obviously um, uh, the market is discounting now. Uh, a more aggressive and earlier increase in interest rates than the Fed is forecasting and other central banks are forecasting. Um, so so that's there is the tension there. Um, but the bond market tends to reprice quite aggressively at any rate. So it fiddles around and doesn't do very much. And then suddenly, basically, you see uh, a, a quarter or so where you see a very sharp rise in long-term interest rates. So there's nothing new about that kind of behaviour. And on this occasion... Um, Inflation, you know, having been very low, the base effects were sort of significant, you know, because commodity prices last year were very weak at this time. And now you're seeing a sharp increase in inflation. uh, And there's all of this sort of inflation narrative going on because uh, market participants have suddenly woken up to the fact that policy is extraordinarily easy. President Biden has just written another one point nine trillion dollar ticket yeah uh, and you know it's little wonder that bond investors would get somewhat nervous um, about the future course of inflation in those circumstances. However, I think once we get to may, uh, we're likely to see that the sort of base effect starts sort of come out of the picture um, and you know actually you know, the bond market tends to behave in a very correlated way with the sort of inflation dynamics. Now, that's not to say uh, that, um, that that is not a pause and that we're actually heading into a period of years where inflation rates are, inflation is going to increase. You know, we might even have seen the major inflection point in in, in bond yields, i.e. the lows may have been put in already now. Um, however, at the moment, basically, this is really a cyclical phenomenon. Uh, it's too early uh, and you also don't need to come to conclusions about whether we're entering a new inflation regime um, just yet. Uh, although clearly markets are beginning to worry about that, and you know you've seen the sort of kind of narrative building up over the last few months, and you know a lot of it's about what are the inflationary consequences and so forth, and uh, and so on and so forth. So I suspect that we're sort of you know we, we, we the bond market's probably done its stuff, you know now. There may be a little bit more to go in the short term. And then we'll probably have a period where things calm down. And it's a very steep yield curve. So it's very painful to be short um, long-term interest rates at the moment. When they're going down, our yields are going up and prices are going down. uh, Then obviously, short-term traders have a field day um, because they're on a momentum trade and so forth. Um, and they're making short-term capital gains. They're probably leveraging those positions and so forth. Um, But there's going to come a point when they want to take those profits. And I think that point is sort of coming, you know, quarter ends are normally sort of slightly testing periods, and we're just approaching one at the moment. Uh,
0: So what you think is that um, having been at 0.77%, I think it was the US 10-year bond yield in April of last year, going to 1.62%, as I said earlier on, on Friday after the jobs numbers back at 1.54 at the moment, that's in Enough for now, and people have had their fun, and it's not a problem. It's just normalizing. Um, And I'm looking at the dollar now. The dollar's about 0.6% weaker against the euro, and maybe. Yeah, it's it's, it's all it's, it's all over if there was to be a problem though At what point do you think it might become a problem? Because I know that if you take the long-term average of the US 10-year Over 40 50 years. I think it's something like 5.3 percent. We're nowhere near that But on the other hand, you've got to contextualize this Philip to say that we've been down to you know Around about half a percent and now we're one and a half percent. So at some point someone's going to experience some pain
1: Yes, of course. And I think there's more pain to come in bonds. And it's just not um, a straight line exercise, you know, because um, you know, the long end of the Treasury market, you know, certainly the 10 year should be another 100 basis points higher than it is at the moment, even at the sort of recent peak. Mm. Um, and if you look at the 30 year bonds, um, that um, you know that should presumably be trading sort of three percent or above. That even if we're in a relatively benign inflation environment, uh, which we may not be ultimately, but that remains to be seen. Uh, so, so I think uh, I think prices have to adjust further, um, and we've we, we've we've obviously had a quite a sharp move telescoped in a short space of time. Uh, why that didn't happen before is a bit of a mystery because it's pr- been pretty a pretty obvious trade. Uh, but now, of course, what typically happens is that you get basically the momentum crowd in uh, and you see prices sort of going a bit nuts in the short term. That tends to uh, uh, feed the narrative um, and leads to overshoots, which provides, uh, you know, great opportunity to exit positions, um, you know, as the gathering swine sort of start to start to stir. So, I think now's not the time to be sort of extrapolating, um, you know but you know again, we have to recognise that you know even after the uh, adjustment we 've seen long term interest rates are simply too low to provide a suitable risk premium.
0: What about a matter that we didn 't speak on the occasion of our last podcast, and that is sector rotation, because that's been a little bit of a mini theme recently. In other words, the DAO, even if the US stock market across the board goes down, the Dow Jones goes down less than the S&P, the S&P goes down less than the NASDAQ. So people getting out of the high-flying tech stocks. Of course, it, that reversed yesterday and has done so again today uh, as I look at my screen. Uh, but do you think that might be something that might develop should the bond yields continue to rise? And if so, what does that mean for you at 91
1: Sure. So, I mean, I think that we, you know, we were positioned this year for a significant rotation. We thought that uh, the move into, uh, you know, tech uh, was overdone. Yes, the market was far too narrow. And if we were going to have a genuine recovery, then you're likely to see a broader market, more breadth, uh, and a rotation out of what investors had previously considered to be defensive. Ie, these companies with high earnings growth rates. They are essentially long duration assets. Uh, And so it's not surprising that they're doing badly at the same time as bonds are doing badly. And also, conversely, they did well when bond yields were were declining. So that is clearly connected. You know, people in periods of economic weakness tend to favour, you know, growth assets that have long durations. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's about discounting cash flows. Uh, We've moved into a different environment now. Uh, and there is excessive positioning, you know, in the stocks that led the charge before. And, uh, and you know, clearly we've seen a significant rotation out of them. I think that's probably just the beginning. But, you know, inevitably now they're rallying simply because, you know, in the short term, you know, we've gone too far in the other direction. That's not to say that the trend isn't likely to be persistent.
0: Did these trends in your experience become... Enduring trends. In other words, they, they're not just sort of flash in the pan, Robin Hood style uh, mini flashes, if you like. Uh, they go on for, for quite a while because they're part of an economic cycle, not just a short term uh, faddy trading cycle.
1: Yes. And I think the interesting thing to consider is, you know, are we entering a sort of boom bust environment, you know, which is going to be choppy for everything uh, or are we in a multi-year upswing Yes. Uh, and at the moment, the jury's out on that. Uh, one of the things that makes me uncomfortable is the level of stimulus being chucked at things, uh, because the danger is that you see a sort of rip-roaring boom out of the bust um, to be followed by another economic relapse, whereas actually what we need is a sort of multi-year period of uh, uh, of steady growth in an ideal world. Uh, but the Fed and other central banks are intent on basically sort of doing whatever it takes to actually uh, get the world economy sort of back on track. Um, and so we'll see how that 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 actually turns out. The best environment for uh, value investors is likely to be, um, you know, basically a move, a sustained move up in inflation, um, a multi-year period of growth in which basically. Uh, cyclical um, businesses can, you know, generate attractive cash flows and so forth. Um, and if that is the case, then they are going to compete for capital much more aggressively uh, with the uh, sort of Fang-type stocks, stocks that dominated in the previous cycle. Um, so uh, boom and bust, you, you know, is, is is not good for you know either category particularly um uh but but it means that interest rates come down again with a bump uh, having gone up uh and that you know on balance means that uh, we haven't necessarily seen the last of the uh, uh of the favored growth stocks but 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 for for the moment i think on balance basically they're overowned and we're in a sort of strong cyclical rebound and you can expect um you know with pauses a more significant rotation before this particular sort of theme is played out.
0: I'm going to ask you a question now that I've been asking all my commentators for the first few days of this week. And that is, is the current economic recovery, whether it be in China, the United States uh, or various other geographies, is it to do with restocking? For example, your warehouse has been depleted Metaphorically over the last year or so since the pandemic first became apparent um, And so you have to restock that warehouse in anticipation of better times Is it a restocking environment or is it genuine economic growth that will be sustainable?
1: I mean, I think that that in the early stages of any sort of economic rebound You do see restocking and we're likely to see that occurring uh, What's unusual about this on this occasion is that service sector spending has been extremely uh, badly impacted by COVID. Um, and uh, a lot of people have not been able to buy the services that they, they, they wanted, whether it's going on that holiday or you know, even sort of visiting the beautician. So I think that that, ex- that kind of expenditure will come back with a bang. Uh, and that bang will be going off at the same time as inventories are being restocked. Uh, which um, which means that, you you know, you could you know, you're likely to see a period um, of um, of, um, you know, pretty sort of boom like growth Um, underneath the surface. There are some quite significant investment trends. Um, you know, the uh, expenditure on green infrastructure is just getting going. Uh, And that's a big thing. And it's going to involve a lot of capital on a multi-year basis. And, you know, we're seeing a sort of coordination um, internationally uh, on this front. Uh, And so, therefore, uh, that, that will provide that sort of energy transition, green infrastructure spend, you know, is likely to be something, if you like, sort of relatively new in the background here. You know, in the sense that it will be material uh, and it won't just be funded by governments.
0: Philip, thank you so much for your insight. That's Philip Saunders, who's the co-head of Multi-Asset Growth at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or